Today on Legalese, we will be looking at the Supreme Court opinion in Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard that held racist admission policies are a violation of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. Crosby masks. Peter, that's President Obama. Oh, did I just do a racism? Oh, did I just do a racism? A celebration to last throughout the years. So bring your good times and your laughter too. We gon' celebrate your party with you. Come on now. Did I just do a racism? Let's all celebrate and have a good time. Oh, did I just do a racism? We go celebrate and have a good time. It's time to come together. It's up to you. Bill Cosby mask. Peter, that's President Obama. Oh, did I just do a racism? Did I just do a racism? It's a celebration. It's a celebration. Bill Cosby masks. Peter, that's President Obama. Oh, did I just do a racism? A racism. Let's all celebrate and have a good time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did I just do a racism? We go celebrate and have a good time. It's time to come together. It's up to you. What's your pleasure? Bill Cosby masks. Peter, that's President Obama. Oh, did I just do a racism? It's a celebration. Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome back once again to Legalese. As always, I am your host, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Uh, now, if you happen to be new to my channel, let me especially welcome you. This is the podcast where we're going to be discussing all things constitutional law, as well as current events in other areas of law, politics, and culture. Now, today, in Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard, 
uh, we're discussing it today. The case was announced a couple of days ago, uh, just to be clear. But uh, so anyways, the uh, Supreme Court uh, effectively ended the current regime of diversity justified race based affirmative action in higher education. Now, the case was a consolidation of two cases, actually, uh, one brought by brought against Harvard and another brought against the University of North Carolina. Uh, and in this way, uh, students for fair admission, who was the petitioner in both of those cases, have now successfully challenged affirmative action in both a private and public college. So to understand the facts of the case, the opinion of the court, and some of the likely ramifications of this case, let's start by reviewing the question presented upon which the court would grant cert. So it was a two-part question, and the first was, should this court overrule Grutter v. Bollinger and hold that institutions of higher education cannot use race as a factor in admissions? Second was that Title VI of the Civil Rights Act bans race-based admissions that, if done by a public university, would violate the Equal Protection Clause. And is Harvard violating Title VI by penalizing Asian American applicants and engaging in racial balancing overemphasizing race, and rejecting workable race-neutral alternatives. So to understand these precedents here that we are talking about, Grutter v. Bollinger was a landmark case of the Supreme Court concerning affirmative action in student admissions. The court held that a student admission process that favors underrepresented minority groups did not violate the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause so long as it took into account other factors evaluated on an individual basis for every applicant. Uh, and this decision, Grutter v. Bollinger, also largely upheld a previous decision in the case of Regents of the University of California v. Baca, which allowed race to be a consideration in admissions policies but held racial quotas to be unconstitutional. And Title VI, uh, which can be found codified at 42 U.S.C. Section 2000D, this is part of the landmark Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, color, and national origin in programs and activities receiving federal financial assistance. Now, as President John F. Kennedy said in 1963, ouch, I've been shot. But he also said, simple justice requires that public funds to which all taxpayers of all races, colors, and national origins contribute not be spent in any fashion which encourages, entrenches, subsidizes, or results in discrimination uh, either based on color or national origin. So, if a recipient of federal assistance is found to have discriminated and voluntary compliance cannot be achieved, the federal agency providing the assistance should either initiate fund termination proceedings or refer the matter to the Department of Justice for appropriate legal action. And now getting to our present case here, the opinion of the court in this case was delivered by Chief Justice John Roberts, who uh, spoke of this decision as reflecting the core purpose of the Equal Protection Clause, which he identified as doing away 
with governmentally imposed discrimination on the basis of race in accordance with the precedents set in Palmore v. Sedoti. And the chief would go on to point out that this core purpose has been recognized repeatedly by the court. So going to the opinion itself, he says, quote, The clear and central purpose of the 14th Amendment was to eliminate all official state sources of invidious racial discrimination in the states. And that eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it. And the Equal Protection Clause we have accordingly held applies without regard to any difference of race, of color, or of nationality, and it is universal in its application. Now, any exception to the Constitution's demand for equal protection must survive uh, a daunting two-step examination of what is known as strict scrutiny. Now, this is actually a form of a larger topic known as judicial scrutiny, and this is a complex doctrine in 14th Amendment jurisprudence, uh, and this would be uh, worthy of its own video. So if you guys would like a video on the history of judicial scrutiny, uh, leave a comment and let me know. But for now, strict scrutiny uh, is a form of judicial review that the courts use to determine the constitutionality of certain laws. So strict scrutiny is often used by courts when the plaintiff sues the government for discrimination. To pass strict scrutiny, the legislature must have passed a law to further a compelling governmental interest and must have narrowly tailored the law to achieve that interest. And strict scrutiny is the highest standard of review which a court can use to evaluate the constitutionality of potential government discrimination. The other two standards are uh, intermediate scrutiny and rational basis review. Now, strict scrutiny will often be invoked in equal protection claims. Uh, for a court to apply strict scrutiny, the legislature must either have passed a law that infringes upon a fundamental right or involves a suspect classification. And by suspect classification, they're referring to race, national origin, religion, or alienage. So in applying strict scrutiny to this case in particular, uh, we find uh, in the court's opinion that under this standard, we ask first whether the racial classification is used to further a compelling government interest in accordance with Grutter. And secondly, if so, we ask whether the government's use of race is narrowly tailored. Narrowly tailored meaning necessary to achieve that interest uh, in accordance with uh, the precedent in Fisher v. University of Texas. Now here, the chief uh, goes on to point out that in accordance with the precedent set in the case of Rice v. Cayento, Rice v. Cayetano, excuse me, uh, the court's acceptance of race-based state action has been rare for a reason. Distinctions between citizens solely on their ancestry are, by their very nature, odious to a free people whose institutions are founded upon a doctrine of equality. So, in deciding whether the 
emission system used by Harvard and the University of North Carolina were lawful under the Equal Protection Clause, the court would ultimately conclude that the respondents have fallen short of satisfying that burden of, first, uh, the interests they view as compelling because they cannot be subjected to meaningful judicial review. Uh, so Harvard identifies the following educational benefits that it is pursuing. One, training future leaders in the public and private sectors. Two, preparing graduates to adopt to an increasingly pluralistic society. Three, better educating its students through diversity. And four, producing new knowledge stemming from diverse outlooks. Now, as Chief Justice Roberts would put it in the majority opinion, although these are commendable goals, they are not sufficiently coherent for the purpose of strict scrutiny. University programs must comply with strict scrutiny. They may never use race as a stereotype or negative, and at some point, they must end. The respondents' admission systems, however well-intentioned and implemented in good faith, fail each of these criteria, and they must therefore be invalidated under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Now, uh, the chief would go on to say that many universities have, for too long, done just the opposite, and in doing so, they have concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. But our constitutional history does not tolerate that choice. He goes on, and so for the reasons provided above, the Harvard and UNC admissions programs cannot be reconciled with the guarantees of the Equal Protection Clause. Both programs lack sufficiently focused and measurable objectives warranting the use of race, unavoidably employing race in a negative manner, involving racial stereotypes, and they lack meaningful endpoints. We have never permitted admissions programs to work in that way, and we will not do so today. Now, on the downside here, I, I believe the court did a, a poor job of reconciling its decisions with uh, previous precedents uh, that really give a much broader leeway for diversity preferences than they uh, likely meant to. So some parts of the majority opinion could also potentially enable uh, the continuation of certain racial preferences in disguise, uh, including uh, the comment made by the chief that, at the same time, as all parties agree, nothing in this opinion should be construed as prohibiting universities from considering applicants' discussion of how race affected his or her life, be it through discrimination, inspiration, or otherwise. Now, I see this as uh, potentially problematic for uh, the same reason that the court expressed in a much earlier case, uh, 1867 case, of Cummings v. Missouri when they held, what cannot be done directly cannot be done indirectly. The Constitution deals with substance, not shadows, and the prohibition 
against racial discrimination is leveled at the thing and not the name. And in that, this does leave me wondering, how much will the schools simply be able to cheat? Now, I think it is sometimes alleged, for instance, that uh, public institutions in states that have banned the use of race in admissions will still use it in a de facto sense. However, the issue is when this comes up, it has proved very difficult uh, in practice to prove whether or not this is the case. So uh, maybe this is true, maybe it is not. But in any event, I think the aftermath of students for fear admissions is likely going to test a range of enforcement possibilities from discovery under the federal rules of civil procedure uh, to uh, some administrations such as the Department of Justice and the Department of Education. Now, Chief Justice Roberts' majority opinion did do an excellent job of laying out many of the flaws in diversity preferences, including nebulous goals, a reliance on crude racial classifications and stereotypes, and the unconstitutional use of race as a negative to disadvantage Asian American applicants, uh, among several others. Now, for me, uh, the true gem in this case would have to be Justice Thomas's concurring opinion, which offers perhaps the first and undoubtedly the best originalist defense of a colorblind constitution. Now, Thomas's concurrence in this case is one uh, that I will be returning to discuss at some point here in the near future. It's a very powerful opinion, and it's one that uh, in the meantime, I strongly encourage everyone to go read the whole thing for themselves. It really is that good. Now, in the end, how exactly today's decisions will affect the world, it seems to me, will depend a lot on some of the variable factors we have already discussed here uh, and many other variables that can simply you know, not, not really be adjudged right now and may not be adjudged any time in the near future is it's not clear to see exactly how uh, cleanly this whole process will play out. But that's all I really have for you guys today. Uh, but definitely check back here soon because I still have a number of videos uh, that I am going to be putting out in the coming days regarding uh, the Supreme Court uh, decisions that are being handed down. So including uh, my assessment of Moore v. Harper and National Pork Producers versus Ross, uh, along with videos uh, covering dissenting opinions in cases such as uh, Justice Thomas's dissent here in this case, as well as the dissents in uh, Holland v. Bracken. However, uh, in the meantime, uh, until those videos are up, I have already written several articles uh, published to discuss some of those things, such as uh, the dissents in the case of Holland v. Bracken. So if you want to uh, read those, you can go to LegallyShow.com and find them there or sign up for my newsletter too and get informed every time I put out new videos and articles. But anyways, uh, just keep checking back here. Uh, thank you so much for coming by. If you would take a moment and do all of those things that help trigger uh, Al Gore's rhythm, I would very much appreciate it. Uh, hit that like button if you liked it. Hit dislike if you disliked it. 
uh, leave me a comment. And uh, until next time, this has been uh, Bob for Legalese talking about affirmative action. And of course, as always, Cartago de Lenda Est. Like